Uh, We're continuing on with a new series this morning, uh, a series that we started last week. And as I've thought about this specific passage this morning, I have been reminded over and over of our little puppy that we've had for the last half of a year. I'm going to ask for a little bit of latitude because I'm not comparing my puppy to God, but I think it does transition, in, it does help us. Uh, what amazes me, and we haven't had a puppy for a long time, when you take that puppy outside, and if you take him on a walk, you could go just a half a mile, but he will stop at least 30 times and try to go to the bathroom. And towards the end of that half a mile trip, he will stop and lift his leg, and I'm standing there watching, and nothing's coming out, but he just keeps going. And then we go a little bit further, and it doesn't matter if it's a mailbox or a bush or an electrical box, it doesn't matter. He goes, he sniffs it, and he lifts his leg. And eventually we get to somebody's yard, and he does the next part of his business, and then I have to pick it up and put it into a bag. When he comes into the house as a puppy, he runs and he'll find something and he has some toys and he'll run to us and he drops them at our feet and then he just stands there. And he'll even reach up and paw at us or put both up or he'll jump up onto our lap and he just sits and stares at our face like, don't you get it? I brought you a toy. It's time to throw it. Why does he do these things? Why is a dog able to Give me some latitude here. Why is a dog able to be outside with people all around him or her and they just squat and go to the bathroom? No shame, no concern. They just do it. Why? Because they're a dog. That's what dogs do. Cats don't pick up toys and run to you and ask you to play with them. Cats put all out their claws, and I'm not a cat person, and they come and they hiss and they swipe at you. Dogs do that because they're dogs, that's what they do. And if we transition this a little bit and think, uh, how, how incredible would that be if non-believers, those outside the kingdom of God, saw us and they just said, those Christ followers, all they do is worship. They don't Stop. That's all they do. Why do they do that? Why do those Jesus lovers constantly engage in worship? And wouldn't it be incredible if their answer was, they do that because that's what they do. That's who they are. In the passage that we're going to look at this morning, the, the, the petition from Jesus to the Father as he's teaching his disciples to pray, he covers just a few words, and the words that, he's, that he uses are going to describe the character of God, and he's not actually ascribing it to him. He's making a petition, and he's asking God, would you please do this in and among us? And Jesus is asking this petition on some level simply because, God, this is who you are. This is what you do because you are God. Uh, Let me pray, and then we'll read the passage of Scripture. Father, we're thankful for your mercy and your kindness to us. We ask that you would open our hearts and our minds and that you would teach us this morning. God, would you help us to come before your throne of grace with hearts that are humble, with hearts that are desiring and eagerest to learn from you. 
teach us this morning as you taught your disciples. In Jesus' name we prayed. Amen. We're continuing with a series called Teach Us to Pray. And the passage that we're going to look at this morning is Matthew chapter 6, verse 9, where Jesus says to his disciples, pray then like this. Not necessarily pray these exact words, but here is a model for you as to how you should go before the Father and pray. And he says, pray then like this, our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Last week we looked at that first phrase, our Father in heaven. We considered that uh, part of the, the first part of this passage, including the, our Father, including this morning, hallowed be your name, the first half of this prayer is all pointing towards the majesty and the glory of God, while the second half of the prayer is focusing on God's, or the, the, the needs of God's people. And so this first half is directed towards him. The second half is, Lord, please intervene on our behalf. And so we saw that our Father, who art in heaven. And J.I. Packer, I don't know if I, sh- I don't think I had the chance to share this last week, but J.I. Packer tells this, our God is free from all limitations, inadequacies, and flaws that are found in earthly parents. And that his fatherhood, like all his other relationships, is from every standpoint absolutely ideal, perfect, and glorious. Dwell on the fact that there is no better father, no parent more deeply committed to his children's welfare, or more wise and generous in promoting it than God the Creator Father. If you are a child of God, you call him our Father. There is none like him. As, as good as some of you may have had in an earthly example of what a father was like and what a mother is like, there is none like this person, this God, whom Jesus was pointing his disciples to and teaching them how to pray, saying, go before him and say, Abba, Father. Um, So we're moving on this morning to that passage, Hallowed Be Your Name, and there are three reminders that I want to look at for us or with us this morning. And we see that in this this phrase, Hallowed Be Your Name, Jesus is not saying in those words to his disciples, Your Father is holy. Now that's a part of it, and it's just taken for granted. So he's not ascribing something in that prayer, Hallowed Be Your Name. Instead, he is uh, putting forth a petition, a request. And Jesus is saying to the Father, Father, would you hallow your name? And then he goes on to say how he's to do that in the, in the later words. And so again, it's a, it's a petition and a request that Jesus is laying out. Father, would you please hallow, would you glorify, would you magnify, would you lift up your name? And so in this, in this first rep, uh, petition, we're reminded of this. That if we call him Father, we are compelled toward his majestic authority. If you call him Father, when we enter into a sense of prayer, we are compelled, we're gripped by, we're captivated, we're, we're drawn to his majestic authority. 
you remember last week, and I'd love to put somebody on the spot, but I won't do this. If you remember last week, the first point of, uh, of the series as we started into this prayer, or into this Lord's Prayer, teach us to pray, I suggested that prayer is lovingly governed. And we can actually use that same point throughout the course of this, this series. But we see specifically, once again, in this passage, hallowed be your name, that Jesus is offering for us a model of how prayer for us is to be governed as we go before him, that we are to request as we go in prayer into that sweet communion that it's not about us. Isn't it interesting? Please, please note this. That as Jesus is saying, here's the model for you to pray. He gives the introduction, our Father. And then the first request is about God and is about his glory. And if we're honest, if, if we're honest with ourselves, each one of us, if we were left to ourselves, our prayers would be all about us. It would start with us and it would end with us. And Jesus is teaching us this model from the very beginning because of the authority of this name. Don't don't run into the the throne room and start your prayers with a to-do list of, of, of Jesus. Don't run into the throne room with a prayer, with a to-do list of give me, give me, give me. I need, I need, I want, I want. Jesus is giving us this model of go, and we're reminded, go, sit at his feet of authority because of his name. Hallowed, hallowed be your name. Um, Jesus is asking the Father, Jesus, would, or Father, would you please glorify yourself? Since you are holy, since your name is holy, would you magnify that into our lives even more so? Jesus, as I'm praying, our fathers, I'm sitting in the closet in secret, literally or metaphorically, Jesus, would you magnify and glorify your name into my mind, into my heart? Would you increase my understanding of your majestic authority? Where's he getting this from? If you go all the way back, Jesus was a good Jewish boy, and he knew the Old Testament. So if you go all the way back to the Old Testament and the law, you see in Exodus chapter 20, uh, one, of the, one of the first four commandments, you shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain, for the Lord will not hold him guiltless, who takes his name in vain. Rich just said, said some words. There is something powerful in that name. And Jesus is saying in this prayer, glorify that name. Magnify it. Hollow it. He's not saying, Jesus or Father, your name is not your, your name is not holy enough. You need to make it more holy. It's not what he's saying. Jesus, would you magnify the holiness of your name even more that we would understand it? What's, what does that mean to hallow it? It means to set apart as special, to reverence, to dedicate it or consecrate it for glory, to acknowledge when, when you go and you pray as a disciple 
and you say, Jesus, or Father, I keep doing this, Father, hallowed be your name. You are saying and acknowledging there is a vast, vast difference. There's a chasm between you and me. You are unlike me. You are not of this this world. You are not of our DNA. Ezekiel, and this is a passage that I absolutely love because it just is powerful. Ezekiel chapter 36, 22 and 23, we hear these words. Therefore say to the house of Israel, thus says the Lord God, it is not for your sake, O house of Israel, that I am about to act. It's not for you. It's but for the sake of my holy name, which you have profaned among the nations to which you came. And I will vindicate the holiness of my great name, which has been profaned among the nations and which you have profaned among them. And the nations will know that I am the Lord, declares the Lord God, when through you I vindicate my holiness before their eyes. God's saying, what's important to me is I'm going to vindicate my name. Mary, in her prayer in the New Testament, says this, For he who is mighty has done great things for me, and holy is his name. I want want you to think about that just for a second. How trivially we enter into prayer, or we talk about God, or we refer to him in such a way that doesn't fit into this model. And it doesn't have to be those exact words, but we have to follow this pattern of he is our Father who is in heaven, who is holy, and may he hallow his name. May he be set apart. He's unlike us. Think for just a second when somebody says your name wrong. What's your, what's your immediate desire? I want to correct. I, I, you would think with my last name that it would be easy. It's four letters. And I'm constantly having to tell people, no, no, not, not bowl, bowl. No, 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 not Scott Bill, it's Scott Bull, you know. And then I always have to do this. You know, the, hand, the animal with the horns. I look like a bull. If I've done that with you, I really wasn't as irritated as I'm suggesting now. <laughs> Last night we were sitting and we were, we were watching different clips downstairs, Deb and I, with, with Micah and Jordan. And I don't even remember what we were talking about, Goodwill Hunting, which is a phenomenal movie and with, that stars Robin Williams and Matt Damon. And Micah couldn't think of Robin Williams' name. And so Micah refers to him as, oh, that movie that has Matt Damon and that, that dead guy. And I about came off the couch. I was ready to punch my own son in the face. This is Robin Williams. You're, you don't refer to him as that dead guy. Show some respect. And think for just a second how we... Maybe not we, but we see it, we've experienced as we, we, we hear people refer to our God who is holy as the big guy upstairs, the big man upstairs. In this Lord's Prayer that Jesus is teaching his disciples, 
he is showing right off the bat. I want to remind you that a model of prayer is that there is a sense that you're coming before the one who holds all majestic authority. Um, Here's a reality. Until we recognize the inherent danger of coming into God's presence, we have not really begun to worship him in the purity of his holiness. Until we truly understand the bad news that we are separated from him. It's a psychological truism. Until we get that, it's impossible for us then to respect and reverence and adore his name. Until we understand the difference in the chasm between us. Here's a reminder number two out of this passage. Reminder one, that we're coming before one who has majestic authority. And reminder number two is this, that we are compelled because of this prayer, hallowed be your name, we are compelled towards unashamed worship. This is what Jesus is saying. Father, would you hallow your name so that we would understand you in a deeper way, that we would come before you with the greater longing of our hearts to worship you. And so he's setting out this model that as we enter into a time of prayer, whether it's a short time or we're driving or it's you've set aside a longer period of time, whatever that is, that's a time to enter in and to engage in worship. We see in Isaiah, this take place in the Old Testament. In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord sitting upon a throne high and lifted up. And the train of his robe filled the temple. Above him stood the seraphim. Each had six wings. With two he covered his face. With two he covered his feet. And with two he flew. And one called to another and said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of of his glory. And as that's announced, holy, 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 they're in his presence and they can't help but worship him. Isaiah responds with some words, woe is me for I am lost. Woe is me for I am lost. Which is a form, it's worship. Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. God has made us as his children so that we would find our deepest fulfillment and highest joy in hallowing his name by praise, submission, and service. What is this, this holiness? When we say that God is holy, we don't simply mean that, that God has some ethical, moral, moral character trait about him, that, that he is this, but he's also holy. When we say that God's holy, we're not just suggesting, well, he's sinless. Yes, that's part of it, but it's more, he is the holy supreme being, the superlative moral majesty in the universe. Holiness refers to everything that distinguishes him from us. He is a divine being with no creation. We are the created. In in, in a short summary, God is holy that causes us to worship because he's not like us. You see this in the story that uh, Rich read just a few minutes ago in Exodus chapter 3. 
where Moses, a man, comes into the presence of this holy God, and God says to him, Moses, take off your sandals because you are standing on holy ground. And we as the church and God's people, we have lost this sense of reverence, of coming into the presence of God in prayer. Hallowed be your name. Why, why do we not do this? Why have we lost this? In part because there's such a, uh, an incredible desire within every one of our hearts that we long to magnify and glorify me. I was reminded this week of uh, uh, something that took place a few years ago, and uh, most of you won't know who this is, and so it, it's a famous actor and uh, rapper. He was a child actor who turned into a, an adult actor and rapper. Um, he was going on a flight. If you would throw that up, Albert. He was going out on a flight and some lady sitting in a seat, a couple behind him and off to the, off to the left, saw that it was little, or Lil, not little, Lil Bow Wow, this famous actor and rapper. She saw him sitting there and she was so excited that she went on her phone under her Instagram account and she was going to say, I'm on a phone or I'm on a flight with Lil Bow Wow. And as she went on her phone, she saw that he had just posted on Instagram, a picture of a private jet and with these words, heading off to New York today <laughs> and was totally trying to, to get everybody to assume that that was his lifestyle. And there he sat on a, on a plane, not in first class, but just a row away from her. <laughs> That's in you too. We long to receive credit when God deserves it. We long to hear the praise of ourselves instead of deflecting glory be to God, not me. Praise, praise him if he's done something good or positive through me. Um, what does this look like? The practice of, of hallowing God's name. When we recognize in our own hearts you know, sometimes this hallowing of God's name takes place in a public event, but this hallowing of God's name, particularly as we come into prayer or as you engage in worship, it's something that can take place just in us, between me, between God. There's this sense of we hallow God's name when we remember and we savor. And as we savor that, it causes us to adore him even more. The simple truth that it was the Father's love that sent his Son to this worth to pay the price. It was the Father's justice as well as his love who sent his Son to be the substitute for our sin. And as we savor that truth, that I am who I am because of your grace, because you saved me. That's hallowing God's name. We live in a time period, and this, this is nothing new, but we live in a time period where we love to juxtapose God's love with God's justice. And we love to say, yes, God, God may be a holy God, but we're not holy. And, and God's love rules out day after day over his holiness. And the truth is you can't separate them. God's love is perfectly 
holy. And it's because his love wasn't just some sappy, weep emotion that we see in today's culture. Because his love was filled with his holiness that he sent his son. You and I hallow his name when we give him full credit for every good and perfect gift that we have. We hallow his name when we yield to his lordship and we resist temptation. We hallow his name when we come in here and we engage in worship or you're driving on the road and something happens and it causes you to reflect and you with hands still on the wheel and eyes open engage in worship. That's hallowing his name. That's glorifying, magnifying his name. When we step towards those who are outside our circle, those who don't know Christ, when we step towards them in love, that's hallowing God's name. When we commune in prayer as we, as we have been taught by our Savior, that's hallowing God's name. When we deal with the emotions of fear and anxiety... That's hallowing God's name. When, we, when, when those emotions come and we cling to and grip onto Jesus even harder, that's hallowing his name. Uh, in God's humor, um, I got a chance to, this past week to, to experience just a small picture of what this looks like from a human perspective. Uh, as many of you know, last Friday was my, or last Sunday was my birthday, Cinco de Mayo, and um, thank you for those that that put on the little the, the the cake and the little party after the service. But later that afternoon, um, we went out for for dinner with the the three boy or the the three boys and Sam and Sonia, the two little ones, joined us, and I'm sure Sonia had prepped the little one, little McKenna. I'm sure she had prepped her with this. But, but I saw them come into the restaurant, and we were seated. And I, I looked at them, and I, was, I, I saw Tucker, who's a boy, and he didn't care about anything like this. And he's, he's looking around to go do something, play. I watched McKenna, and she came into the restaurant, and her little eyes started darting all over the place. And as soon as she saw me, she smiled from ear to ear, and she made a beeline to me around the table, past grandma, and she ran to me, and she, as best as she could, jumped up onto my lap. And she took her two little hands, put them on my face, and she said, it's your birthday today. Happy birthday, grandpa. Happy birthday, grandpa. And then she started kissing me all over the face. And it went on for two minutes. And I sat there for a brief moment, basking, but please don't hear this wrong, I sat there basking and bathing in this love that my three-year-old little granddaughter had for me because it was my special day. Oh, what it is to be adored. And when we see these words, Father, Father, hallowed be your name. Jesus is praying, would you help us to be like little children who run to our Father and hallowed be your name to make much of who you are? We all long to hear those words.
I love you. Think of how much that glorifies the name of Jesus with great sincerity and authenticity. We utter those words from our lips or our heart. Father, I love you. I love you for who you are and for what you have done for me. This petition compels us towards worship because of his holy name. The reminder number three that we see in this is we're compelled. This is just the natural conclusion, isn't it? Hallowed be your name. We are compelled towards a personal holiness. And I I hope you see that I put this in quotes. We are compelled towards personal holiness. In Colossians 1, we're told, And you who once were alienated and hostile in mind, doing evil deeds, he has now reconciled in his body of flesh by his death in order to present you holy and blameless above reproach before him. He's done that. The reason he went to the cross was to be able to pay the price on our behalf so that he could present us to the Father. Father, they are now holy and blameless. They were once full of sin and could do nothing but sin. They're now, because of my transfer of righteousness to them, they are, Father, look at them. They're holy and they're blameless. And if we just stopped there, it would completely excuse us from anything else. And we could just stop and just bathe in that and then go do whatever you want. But Paul says, in order to present you holy and blameless and above reproach before him, if indeed you continue in the faith, stable and steadfast, not shifting from the hope of the gospel that you heard. Peter says it a little bit differently in in 1 Peter chapter 1. Verse 13, therefore, preparing your mind for action, be sober-minded. Set your hope fully on the grace that will be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. As obedient children, do not be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance. Peter's suggesting you're different. You're a new creation. Don't fall back to how you used to be ruled by your sinful passions. You're different. Verse 15, but as he who called you is holy, you also be holy in all your conduct. Since it is written, you shall be holy, for I am holy. And so when Jesus prays this prayer, Father in heaven, hallowed be your name, it should lead us into worship before his majestic authority, and it should ultimately lead us to a sense where we pursue holiness as well. Jerry Bridges, years ago, wrote a couple books. One was entitled The Pursuit of Holiness, and then a sequel to that was called The Practice of Godliness. And because the two books, admittedly, by his, his own self, were perhaps a little legalistic, he then wrote a third book called The Discipline of Grace, which was taking that pursuit of holiness and the practice of godliness and just saying, oh, by the way, as a reminder, I took for granted in the first two books, but I'm going to remind you now, you only can pursue holiness and practice godliness by grace. It's because what God has done in you and what he does through you. 
please hear this. When Jesus is saying, hallowed be your name, our ultimate uh, concern in life is not for comfort. Hallowed be your name. Our ultimate concern is, God, I'm living for your glory. And if that brings discomfort to me, may your name be praised. What's interesting in this as well, because we are image bearers of his name, because he's called us to a sense of holiness, there's, there's an evangelistic component in this. Father, hallowed be your name. A, a way of interpreting that as well is when others see me because I bear your name that you have vindicated through your son, because I'm an image bearer of that name, it brings glory to you and people see that and they watch it. I, I hope this serves as a reminder to you or maybe new information The great commission that Jesus lays out for us in Matthew 28 is not go make converts. The goal of evangelism is not the conversion of souls. That's a secondary goal, but the primary goal of evangelism is the glorifying of God's name. May he be praised as I share with you the truth, the life, and the way. And whether you receive that or not, God's going to be glorified. And as an image bearer, by just watching me, by listening to me, you are going to get a a small sense, a small picture of who this God is. Holy in his personhood. Philip Ryken, uh, a pastor in our denomination, said this, Once it was God's holiness that separated us from God, the holiness of his being. Did you catch that? Once it was God's holiness that separated us from him. Now it's God's holiness that brings us to himself. It was God's holiness that separated us, and now it's God's holiness that brings us to him. The holiness of the perfect sacrifice that Jesus offered for our sins. Do you... I don't know if it's striking you the same way it did me, but I, that humbled me and caused me to worship. It was God's holiness that caused you to be separated from him, and it's because of the holiness of his son that brings us to the Father. What do we do with this? Takeaway take number one is simply this. Actively look for opportunities to engage in worship. We're not good at this. Actively look as we plead with the Holy Spirit. Open my eyes and help me to see chances and opportunities for me to engage in worship. Psalm 34 says, Sing praise to the Lord, O you his saints, and give thanks to his holy name. In Revelation we see in chapter 15, And they sing the song of Moses, the servant of God, and the song of the Lamb, saying, Great and amazing are your deeds, O Lord God the Almighty. Just and true are your ways, O King of the nations. Who will not fear, O Lord, and glorify your name? For you alone are holy. All nations will come and worship you, for your righteous acts have been revealed. Look for opportunities to worship Worship in spirit, in truth, 
and worship in Acts, as we're reminded in, in Romans, that your spiritual act of worship is the giving of your body, of your soul. Takeaway number two is this, rest. You probably haven't heard that word in a while. Rest. Actively pursue worship, but hand in hand with that rest in Jesus' holiness. We're told this in Psalm 24. The psalmist is thinking about the holiness of God and he says, Who shall ascend the hill of the Lord? Who can stand in his holy place? And in the arrogance within man, we say, You know, my son-in-law is a pretty bad guy. I'm a lot better than him. I could stand there, but he might not be able to. We, we love to play this comparison game. Just making sure you were awake, Sam. I see you're awake. Good. We, we read this verse, we hear these words, and we fall into this sense of arrogance. On a good day, I can stand. And he says this, He who has clean hands and a pure heart, who does not lift up his soul to what is false and does not swear dis- deceitfully, it's not us. You can't stand in the presence of the Almighty God unless it's for the holiness of Jesus who takes us by the hand and walks us to the Father saying, hallowed be his name. Rest in that. It is finished. Takeaway number three is this. Borrowing those words um, from Jerry Bridges' Pursue Holiness. This isn't, this isn't contradictory. Go rest in his finished work, but in the same breath, go pursue holiness. Romans 12 that I just alluded to is this. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, present your bodies as living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed the patterns of this world. We pursue holiness by grace, for grace, through grace. 